Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 215. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Lightyear, the origin story of Buzz Lightyear. It is January and we are getting caught up from some of the 2022 blockbusters to lead off 2023. How excited were you, before we get into the experience of seeing Lightyear, how excited were you or perhaps cautiously optimistic when you heard that they were going to do a Buzz Lightyear origin film. Definitely cautiously optimistic, but I will say I was happier to have an origin story. I guess you could argue that it's a prequel right? rather than another Toy Story sequel. We did not need another Toy Story film. I thought that the idea that we were getting a movie within a movie was an interesting decision to make and we'll talk about it more as we kind of flesh out the plot of the film but I think more memorable for me you know I'm not not that I'm trying to bury the lead here but I think more memorable for me than the film itself was actually seeing the film because it was the first film that we had saw at Disney Springs We had said after that that we were never going to miss an opening weekend at Disney Springs. And since then, we have missed nothing but opening weekends at Disney (laughs) Springs. This was the one and only, so it is very special in that regard. It is, but you know what it was? And we said it when we did a monoreal in a minute that night. Like, it was a lot of fun, and it was great to see a Disney film at Disney Springs with Disney people in a packed house. It's just It was by, like going to a concert. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like by no other reason than the timing has just not worked out for any of the other films that have come since then. All of the other films that have been released since this, we just couldn't line it up with being at Disney Springs, and we didn't want to wait on any of these films for too long. That was really the big problem. For sure. But I think an important point is that we are still going to see these films in the theaters. We're not just defaulting right to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I think that it's important to note that these films are starting to come back into movie theaters. This one, particular, or this one in particular, because... It's so grandiose in its settings that this is one of those movies that I think you just lose something if you're watching it for the first time on a 42-inch screen. I agree. With all of that being said, how excited are we for the future of Buzz Lightyear? Did this film live up to its expectations and to its hype? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Lost Weekend Co-Planners for Dreamers and Doers. These subtle Disney day planners are inspired by Walt's creation of Disneyland and are designed to remind you of what can happen when one person fearlessly pursues their dreams. The 12-month planner contains annual goal-setting pages, monthly setup pages and habit trackers, plus a calendar view with inclusive holidays and magical dates in Disney history, weekly scheduling with plenty of space for writing, monthly and quarterly reflections, as well as end-of-the-year review pages. Pixie-dusted throughout are quotes from Walt Disney and other dreamers. 
The planner has a beautiful fabric cover that will fit any decor and is made with sustainability in mind from thick FSC certified recycled paper. And it comes in a keepsake box to hold park maps, tickets, and your favorite Disney memories. At the time of this recording, there are limited quantities of 2023 planners available. So head over to lostweekandco.com to order yours now or sign up for the newsletter to see all of the new products Lost Week and Co. will be launching this year. As I said before, a movie inside of a movie. We meet Buzz Lightyear and the Space Rangers as they explore the oddities of a far away planet. After the planet's inhabitants attack, Buzz attempts an escape. However, he fails and damages their ship and their hyperspeed crystal, stranding himself and his crew, including Hawthorne, his best friend. After a year of mining, they attempt to rebuild the hyperspeed crystal at the advice of the aforementioned Commander Hawthorne. Upon their first flight test, Buzz fails to stabilize, and when he lands, he learns that he has gone four years into the future. Because while he didn't stabilize at hyperspeed, because he is traveling at hyperspeed, he is traveling faster than the actual, like, time variant. It Science. Yep, yeah, for, for a children's movie, uh, folks, it's very very involved. Buzz has trouble accepting the fact that everyone is stuck on the planet because of him, and he remains determined to get them home. He meets Socks, a personal companion robot who is designed as a cat, who supports him and eventually aids in running tests to help stabilize the fuel cells. As Buzz continues to try and stabilize the fuel cells and maintain hyperspeed, he misses nearly 60 years of life in the real world, although he himself has not aged. And he returns to learn that Commander Hawthorne has died, and the decision has been made to stay on the planet, which Buzz refuses to accept. When Sox tells Buzz that he solved the fuel problem, the authorities arrive to confiscate him, but he and Buzz escape, make a new fuel crystal, and escape on Buzz's ship to test for st uh, stability. They succeed, however, they crash land and are found by Izzy, Commander Hawthorne's granddaughter, and they see Buzz's ship be taken by the evil Emperor Zerg, who has also attacked the base where Buzz's team was stranded. The Junior Patrol arrives. They are a ragtag bunch um, with an apprehensive Buzz to help defa uh, defeat and defend the base and defeat Zerg and save their people. Zerg chases them and damages their ship even further, so they head to an old mining operation to harvest the parts they need to repair the ship. They retrieve the part, however, Zerg arrives and tries to convince Buzz to go with him. They try to escape, however, Izzy accidentally ejects the fuel cell, which is then taken by Zerg, leading Buzz to declare their mission over before he is taken to Zerg, who reveals himself to be an elder version of Buzz Lightyear. Buzz tells us that he stabilized the fuel crystal, but was able to, or but was then apprehended by the authorities, so he escaped and traveled into a distant future with incredible technology. Old Buzz then tells young Buzz that with his crystal, they can travel back in time and fix their mistake from ever happening. However, the young Buzz does not want to help, as this means that Izzy will be erased, as Commander Hawthorne will not meet her wife, who was the love of her life, 
which then spawned a son, which then uh, spawned Izzy. So there is a lineage here that is lost if they do not stay stranded on this planet. Zerg captures Buzz and the Junior Patrol arrives to rescue him. Buzz and Zerg battle as Izzy and Sox attempt to get to them. She does and they self-destruct the Zerg ship. As they spiral through space, Buzz destroys the fuel cell and kills Zerg. Buzz uses himself as a booster for all intents and purposes. And he propels the ship back towards the planet where they uh, crash land near the base. Upon their return to the base, the commander allows Buzz to reboot the Space Ranger program, which he does, beginning with the Junior Patrol. Holy smokes. Um, yeah, there is a lot. There is a lot going on in this movie. This... This plot, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. Yeah, for a Buzz Lightyear movie, but I'm actually, I'm glad you bring that up now because I feel like this is something that you and I are going to keep coming back to. Well, yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up right now. I feel like Pixar was reaching more for Space Odyssey here than they were a 90s space flick. Because I think that's also something very important that we have to keep in mind is that this film is the one that Andy was watching when he became obsessed with Buzz. So he's seeing it circa 1995. I wish they had sort of leaned into something more hokey like Armageddon and kept it in that vein instead of making it this larger than like larger than life epic but at the same time I do see why they had to do it because think of it 1995 you were a little boy what would have grabbed your attention a movie like Independence Day yeah and I think that that's I think they tried really hard to capture that era of filmmaking when you had things like Independence Day and all of the asteroid movies. There was always an asteroid coming to, to destroy the planet Earth in the 1990s. Yes. And then that eventually became Starship Troopers, which is its own other bag of crazy cats. Um, the thing is, though, that they tried really hard, but I'm glad that you bring this up now. They definitely did more of like a 2001 a space odyssey they almost drifted into like a really out there version of star wars more than welcome to earth and will smith punches an <laughs> alien like there there was a sense of hokiness that you did lose here and I, they, I think they tried with the retread lines that Buzz says in the beginning of the movie, which are retreads of Buzz's initial lines when he's on Andy's bed in the first Toy Story film. Of course. And I think that that's where they relied on the hokiness, but it almost seems, to your point, like there's just a little too much that's going on here. But I miss that, though, because that is the whole essence of buzz and that's where all of the humor comes from is that he believes his own hype so now we're supposed to see the hype it should be hokey 
But with all that being said, I wish we did have sort of a lead in from the Toy Story world because this is the movie that Andy's watching. I wish we had, even if it was just a little 30 seconds, his mom takes him up to the counter, he gets his bucket of popcorn, they get settled in their seats, and then we go into the movie. Is that heavy-handed? Yes. Do I think we need it? Yes. Because people are still hung up on the Tim Allen thing. Well, this is the thing. They almost tried too hard to remind everybody that this is why it's not Tim Allen, because I would have loved to have seen... Andy get his popcorn, sit, maybe brought Woody with him. Yes. And they watch yes. the Buzz Lightyear film. And that's There's where you get... There's a commercial for the toy. That's where you get like your Tropic Thunder movie in a movie kind of thing. Yeah. It would have worked better than what they did, which was in 1995, a boy, saw and, a boy named Andy saw a movie and it became his favorite toy. This is that movie. It, it, like, it, it's so heavy handed and it's just... I, I kind of felt like it was a little lazy. It's like, folks, this is why it's not Tim Allen. Deal with it and move on. I, there was just so much more you could have done with it as opposed to just a graphic that we have to read before the movie starts. And I also feel like this goes back to why this feels so much like a space odyssey because they don't really connect it to the Toy Story world. They just made the Buzz movie. As if Buzz were a person, not a movie action hero. Yeah. Um, so let's let's move on, though, and start actually talking about the movie within the movie. Um, I think that the introduction to Buzz works. I can see where people do didn't jive with Chris Evans recycling the dialogue. I was fine with it because, again, the toy is, he's manufactured, he's produced to do what this character in the film does. But I thought that the way, without getting too much into the cast, because we're going to break them down later, I thought that the way that Chris Evans played him in that first scene made a lot of sense for the buzz that we got from Tim Allen. Exactly. I think Chris Evans nailed it. He didn't try to impersonate Tim Allen spot on, but there was just enough there where you could see Buzz the toy is the derivative of this character. So I think they did a really nice job passing that baton. What I don't jive with here is that Buzz is being such a woody in the beginning of this movie because he's so controlling. He doesn't want help from anybody. He can't accept that he's not the guy in charge. And that's exactly what Woody is when Buzz enters the picture and poses a threat to the hierarchy of Andy's room. Right. Um, Yeah, I, I think so. I think you're right. Um, I think there's something to be said for that because it does feel like at that at this point it does feel like it's two different characters, right? Because Buzz in the first Toy Story film sort of trips over himself and gets lucky a lot of the times. And that's how he makes things work. He's falling with style, right? Yes. 
And because he's based off of the character in this movie and his influence is the character in this movie, it just seems odd that he would be so self-confident and fall into these solutions that he does, which is great for comedy, when in fact the entire premise of the film that he is based off of is stubbornness led to an incredible failure in many ways. And somewhere in there, the influence doesn't carry over and he never really learned from it. Right. Compounded with, by the second time he ignores the Ivan system, the automatic navigation. Yeah. He is becoming borderline unlikable. Borderline. Borderline. And it never really goes more than borderline, but his stubbornness, you're right, kind of leads you to not be sympathetic to what is about to happen to him as a character. Right. In that scene, though, I do love when he is trying to get the Ivan back on track. He blows into it like a Nintendo cartridge. And that is just a wink and a nod to our generation. So thank you, Pixar, for that. How did you feel about the story, though, with the hyperspeed? That he's time traveling. Um, Does it feel like there's a disconnect here? Does it feel like you're jumping the shark a little bit? Does it feel like it's maybe a little advanced for what is supposed to be a movie that appeals to kids? I mean, kids love Back to the Future, but honestly, Back to the Future is an easier plot to follow than the plot of Lightyear. No, it's a great question because that is something that I was hoping would sort of come out of this conversation was for me to take a definitive stance on how I felt about the time travel. I can appreciate the time dilation aspect for what it does for the plot as far as raising the stakes and resetting the cast with a more inexperienced crew. But I don't feel like this is what Buzz is about. We never knew that Buzz time traveled. That was never, you know, one of his commands. There was never a time travel button in his suit. It was always Buzz versus Zerg. And we do get that later on. But I feel like that should have been the more central storyline here as opposed to the time travel. I agree. I I thought that perhaps Buzz was basically just going to be Robocop in space battling Zerg good versus evil Luke versus Vader right like that's what it's going to be Superman versus Zod like that's what I thought this was going to be and the space rangers pursuing the evil emperor Zerg that is a threat to the galactic alliance where did any of that go right all of that I mean it's Buzz's dialogue off of his toy box. Yes. In the beginning of the film, on the toy box that, if, I rem- if, if I'm correct, has also been turned into a mural inside of Space Ranger Spin, you kind of lose that entire backstory. It was in the box that Buzz came in, yes, too. Yes, yes. That's, yeah, I said and that, that's, I said that yeah, just and now. That's the Space Ranger Spin. Y- yes. So you lose all of that in favor of this 
time travel story. It's not that I dislike the time travel story. To your point, this just doesn't seem like the backstory for Buzz Lightyear based on what we know of this character going back almost 30 years at this point. Where it does pay off, though, is socks. Yes. And the idea that he needs not even an emotional support pet. It's an AI emotional support pet. The whole thing. Absolutely brilliant. Socks as a character, I think, is the best part of this movie. Hands down. He's got the best lines. I think that when it comes to shock value, he's fantastic. Um, I love his introduction. I do like the fact that Buzz refuses to give up. It makes sense. He wants to right his wrong. Every time he does it, he travels four years into the future. I think that Buzz, though, is so stubborn. This is this is the one thing I don't jive with here. Buzz is doing all of this so that he can get all of these people home. But he knows that four minutes to him is a four-minute failure becomes four years to all of these people that he's trying to save. Like, at what point does he say, you know what? I'm going to take a year and I'm going to chill out and we're going to like work on this so that I don't waste the next four years of all of your lives. It makes sense that he won't give up, but at the same time, he literally wasted all of their lives based on his refusal to give up. I agree. And I think that they could have used a year of that downtime to clue the audience in as to how everyone is surviving on this planet while Buzz is on these missions because the planet is completely hostile. Everything is trying to kill them. The plants come up through the ground. You never know when that's going to happen. This is before the laser shield is installed. So it would have been nice to see Buzz defending them against the elements and maybe even the introduction of the robots while Buzz is on the ground, because I, I don't want to get too far ahead here, but now knowing what we know about who Zerg is, the robots sort of seem forced. They do. They seem like sci-fi movie. Yes. Robots because sci-fi movie. Exactly. Um, it's rough watching Hawthorne age every time he goes and he comes back and he goes and he comes back. But what happens here that's really interesting, and it was obviously the largest controversy surrounding this film, was that you see Hawthorne progress in her life, which involves getting engaged, having a son with her wife and you get a kiss between her and her wife it's very quick and it's very brief but you get it in the film and what unfortunately doomed this movie at the box office was the amount of controversy surrounding this scene so I think that it's kind of work it's worth talking about and worth talking through at this point in time. Especially because 
Hawthorne and Buzz are best friends, and her final hologram message to him is so heartbreaking. It's rough. You're completely losing that because the focus is on this kiss. But let's talk about it. My issue is not at all about the kiss. I think Pixar tried to do a great thing here by... I don't want to use the word normalize because it's not abnormal. Right. It's not. Right. Um, But this is how you do make things more acceptable in the mainstream. The thing that made me go, huh, was the choice that Pixar made to include this in a film that is supposed to be taking place in 1995 because yeah, I know this exactly is the film where you're going. that Andy is watching. Now, you can make the argument that it's not, you know, a hard time stamp of 1995, but based on the toys that are in Andy's room, based on what we get in Toy Story 2 and how far removed we are from Woody's Roundup, I think it is safe to say it's 1995, and and I'm going to use that for the basis of this argument. When they do timestamp it as 1995 at the very beginning of this film, so they tell you this is 1995. Okay, well then, perfect. Because here's what's happening in 1995: we are one year removed from Ellen coming out on her show and getting canceled for it. We are a year prior to Rent, which was really the first sort of mainstream phenomenon that had any kind of LGBTQ representation. The next time we see an LGBTQ couple represented in mainstream media is on Friends when Ross's ex-wife left him for another woman. And because we're looking at that through the lens of Ross, that couple was made to be the butt of a joke, really until they gave Ross a son and started introducing them as a family and the idea of co-parenting. They were still a joke. And we are still three years prior to Will and Grace. So you cannot tell me that in 1995 there would have been less outrage than there was over this film now, over this kiss, which makes me really sad because we haven't come all that far. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like 1995, this is not a matter of whether things should or shouldn't have been a certain way in 1995 This is a matter of this is how things were in 1995. Exactly. And I feel like it's almost a disservice that Pixar is acting like this wouldn't have been a big deal because it was. It was it was it was a massive deal in 2022. What do you think it would have been in 1995? No, and think about it. 1995, we were nine years old. My parents are not homophobic by any means whatsoever. But I don't know that they would have taken me to see a movie where something like this would have had to be explained. I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to comment on that. Um, What I will say is that it is fun to rewrite history. We all do it every time. I rewrite history a couple of years ago. Anthony Beauvillier doesn't hit a post on the power play. And Matt Barzell doesn't fan on an open net shot and the Islanders go to the Stanley Cup finals. That's not the world that we live in. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's not the world that we live in. The world that we lived in in 1995 
is not as progressive as the world that we live in in 2022. And you can make the case for 2022, now 2023, not yet progressive enough. But seeing as Ellen DeGeneres, a lot of people, I don't think, remember that Ellen DeGeneres had a sitcom before she was Ellen, the at one point beloved daytime host, because it seems like she wasn't as beloved as a lot of people thought she was, but I'm not going to tackle that either. If you worked on her show, apparently not the easiest person to work with. Um, And her show is now gone. But before she was that... Before she was dancing. Yeah. She had a sitcom that got canceled because even though she, as a real person, was coming out on a television show, that was a fictional character on a television show and people could not handle it. So... I cannot imagine that so much would have changed in a year that now this science fiction film about the Space Rangers is going to show it. Again, do not put words in my mouth. Do not confuse this with whether I am arguing whether it should or should not have been a certain way, whether we should or should not have been looking at things a certain way. I'm telling you that when you timestamp something... You can't just change history because it's what you think it should be. That's why I feel like movies that are coming out now, like A Turning Red, like A Strange World, these are films that I think are successful in introducing new characters, introducing what is normal, what is... And again, not not to... I'm I'm not saying this in a way that passes judgment but you know it's it's the new normal it's it's normalizing things that were not viewed this way in 1995 right so the fact that this exists in this movie I have no problem with it existing in this movie I think the controversy around the fact that this happened was ridiculous I think the fact that a controversy like this cost a very talented cast and a a lot of very talented, hardworking artists. The fact that it cost them what should have been a massive success, I have issue with that. But I just don't think that it should have been time-stamped as something that came out in 1995, given what was going on in pop culture in 1995. Yes. In short, the issue is not with the kiss. It's that you wouldn't have seen this in 1995. And I wish that Pixar had done more to acknowledge that instead of everything just getting buried. Because even the Disney company lost out over the controversy. And I'm not just talking about box office numbers. It astounds me that socks is not a huge thing and that there's not more plush toys or that there is not, you know, how was the the hot Christmas toy this year not an actual socks? I thought for sure this thing was going to be all over the world of Disney. Exactly. But it's because not enough kids saw this movie and there's not enough interest in it, unfortunately, because people are buying into the hype over the controversy and not just seeing it. It it just like, and I kind of want to move on from this because it I it just like aggravates me that this is even a conversation that we're having at this point. But between 
the kiss being in the film, which should have no adverse effect on anybody's life, uh, and Tim Allen not being cast in it. And I'm the biggest Tim Allen fan that you'll meet, but I understand why he's not in the movie, and I don't need to hash this out again. Like, it has become exhaust. Honestly, it's become exhausting sometimes to, to, like, watch the movie and think about it because of all of the ridiculous controversy that was around a Pixar film. Like I said, my only gripe with it is that it wouldn't have happened in 1995. The gripe is not that it's in the movie, it's that you timestamped something. But I've anybody that's been with us for a long time knows that I have an issue with rewriting history. I have said it on the show a dozen times. I don't like rewriting history. When you timestamp something, good, bad, or indifferent, you gotta live with it. So that's the bigger thing here. And I just think that this whole thing was just so overblown. And frankly, I, I feel like if if you... No, you know what? I'm not even going to touch that. You know what? Forget it. Scratch that. I'm not even going to touch it. I'm going to move on before I get myself in trouble. Let's, let's move on here and talk about the introduction of Zerg. I was immediately excited to see Zerg on screen. And I thought that this was going to be this was going to be the introduction of Darth Vader. Right? Yes. This was going to be the introduction of the big bad. And we're going to watch this play out on the opposite end of the spectrum for the entire film. And he came in with a bang and kind of exited with a whimper. Like as odd as it sounds, Zerg almost becomes a secondary character because he's got his robots that just go around and say Zerg. You just don't see enough of him in this movie. For the buzz that we know, I also thought that this film was going to start maybe like mid-battle with Zerg. Yes. And then the rest of the film would unfold giving us the history of why they're at odds with each other. That's what I think everybody expected. Because that's Buzz's story. That's Buzz's entire story. So the fact that he doesn't even know who Zerg is right. at this point is kind of astounding to me. And I think they sort of had to do that for the introduction of Izzy, Moe, and Darby. Um... I like what they're trying to do here. I like that the very thing that put Buzz in this situation because he wouldn't accept help from the quote-unquote rookie is now what he needs. It's the lesson that he needs to learn, right? This is the whole character arc. He's got to learn to trust people and realize that his way might not be the best way. So as disappointing as... Zerg is as a villain for me I think it does work as far as introducing these new characters and the journey that they're about to go on with Operation Surprise Party I think the introduction to the Junior Patrol is hilarious I think they're very funny in the beginning and I like them as characters and the comedy pays off throughout the film my biggest problem with them after a while, it just becomes a bit much because they're foils to Buzz 
in the beginning and you expect them to grow and learn, but they kind of just continue to be foils for buzz because comedy. I mean, I will agree with you that the shtick kind of gets old, but at the same time, it is a great parallel because they are continuing to fall with style throughout the entirety of this film. Sometimes quite literally falling with style. I think the other problem is as we're now getting into the second act of the film, I mean, I read the plot a little while ago. I think the plot gets really convoluted. Yes. I think that the pace dies. I think that they just tried to do... I think it was peril for the sake of peril. I think it was too many settings. I think it was too many foils, too many flubs, too many... Oh, now we got to go get this. There just seems like they tried to take... 10 pounds of stuff and put it into a five pound bag. No, you're right. Because it's like action, action, action. And then they need to reset. And one of the characters spells it out. So we need to get this to do this, to do this and then pull off operation surprise party. And that happens almost after every scene because like five things go wrong and then they need to pull the audience back in. Not that there's a ton of kids watching as we've discussed, and, and remind you of what the goal is, which is problem. Th- that's a problem with screenwriting. We should always know what a character's goal is. We should not need to be constantly reminded about what they're going after. And it certainly shouldn't be spelled out as clearly. Yeah, that's that's the problem, right? Like they're just doing too much explanation. They're explaining too much. The minute you need to explain everything in a movie as a character in the movie that tells me that you have gone off the rails and the writing isn't clean and you've confused everybody like no like in real life i like it's one thing for me to explain a film to somebody that's never seen it it's another thing for a character to explain the movie inside of the movie i think there's also a lot too much really of Buzz, no, 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 I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to drop you guys off. I'm going to drop you guys off. I'm going to drop you guys off. And by the time it comes around for him to realize that he needs them, he changes his mind so quickly. There's no build to it. And and like all of the action plays out where he would have realized it in the moment that he needs them. But the action falls, the scene is over, and then he decides. I'm perfectly fine with Stern Buzz because at least it's consistent with the character that we've been introduced to in this universe that we live in. And because the junior squad keeps tripping over themselves and foiling literally every plan, I kind of can't blame Buzz for getting frustrated with them. Right. But to your point, they go way off the deep end. And then he kind of just comes back around. Exactly. So that's, I have an, 
yeah, I agree with you. I have an issue with that more than I do stern, frustrated buzz. The scene in particular that I'm thinking of, um, and I actually do like this because I think it could be a nod to Toy Story 2 when they're in the road cones. Uh, when they get stuck in the old outpost or when they're looking for the coil to fix yes, the ship. in the mining operation. Right? Exactly. Um, they have these security cones that drop from the ceiling and trap them. So it kind of reminded me of Toy Story 2. But they realize they need to work together to break out of those cones and break out of the situation. They do. Then the ground starts to give out from underneath them. Buzz falls. They catch Buzz. It's that moment where it should have been like, okay, we're going to do this together. Yes. He says, no, I'm still going at it alone. I'm going to drop you off. And then in the next scene... It's something, well, if we're going to do this, you know, and and then it's okay, I'm taking you along with me. There's no, it's an earned moment because of what they just went through, but they've earned it. So stop pushing them away. The earned moment came five minutes too late. Yes, yes. And as this is going on, Zerg has him. No, he doesn't, but he does, but he doesn't. There's, it's it's too janky. It, there's, there's too much back and forth. It feels like scenes are broken into pieces instead of flowing naturally. They're they're jagged. The scenes are a little jagged, um, and I think that it does hurt the pace because at, I'll be honest with you, when we get to this point. Now we're kind of into the beginning of the third act, I think. Like, I hate to say it, but I I start to become a little disinterested in what's going on. Because I just want to see how we get to the conclusion. I'm going to disagree with you because what holds my interest during this third act is how freaking beautiful this animation is. Everything that they're doing up in space, particularly where Izzy has to face her biggest fear and and go out into deep space and, and cross to the other side of the ship, meaning go on the outside and then re-enter instead of going all the way around when there's not enough time. I think that's all stunning. That's what's holding me to it. What sort of loses me, and I want to get your take on this, what do you think of Zerg being Buzz? For this film, I love it. Really? Because I can see Buzz, it makes sense. All Buzz wants to do is fix his mistake. Yes. So if he's being ostracized and he's being chased and they're trying to apprehend him I can see where he fires off because he he's doing it out of self-preservation but then he feels betrayed here's the problem though we're gonna use back to the future because you have to because it's time travel it's the golden standard of time travel more so than the time machine back to the future to me is the golden standard of time travel particularly in Back to the Future Part 2, where you have two Marty McFlies in 1955. Right. 
what happens on November 12th, 1955 is what always happened on November 12th, 1955. It's just that now the fly in the ointment is that you have Marty as Calvin Klein needing to get George and Lorraine back together at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Right. Because Lorraine has now fallen for Calvin. If this happens, obviously, Marty can't be born because his parents are not going to get married. And when a man and a woman love each other very much, (laughs) kids, it's not going to happen. So he's not just trying to save himself, but he's saving his brother and his sister. When he goes back in the second film, he's watching everything as it played out as the second Marty. Nothing changed because it was already written in time. Yes. So when Buzz Crash lands, after he figured out how to use the fuel cell and stabilize it, he's immediately apprehended. In this case, the exact same thing happens, except he's not apprehended because now Zerg is here because he is now Zerg. There just seems like there's a disconnect here where I wish that we would have seen this happen earlier. Yes. Because I couldn't figure out as he's like, I'm figuring it out now as I'm talking through it. That's the problem. I'm only figuring this out now that he wasn't apprehended because he was launching an attack on the base as Zerg. But because so much is going on and because it's so convoluted and it's so confusing and there's so much of a mess here, that entire thing gets lost. And I wish that they wouldn't have allowed it to get lost. And it's only dawning on me now, which it should not have taken me thinking it out loud and comparing it to another time travel film to have this movie make sense. This movie should make sense as a standalone film that exists on its own. No, you're absolutely right, because that was my note, is to me, it didn't add up how Buzz Sr. got to the future. As confusing as the time dilation is, I understand it in the context of this film, and I know that Pixar really did their research, and they talked to experts about how this could actually happen. Well, I theoretically it could happen but no one could actually go through this and and live through it um so i understand it in that context not enough to like explain it back but i get it but it still doesn't add up to me how i'm calling him buzz senior got there yeah um it's i i i'm fine with it Living in this universe, this is my point. I'm fine with it living in this universe. It makes sense, living in this universe, that he wants to right his wrong. It also makes sense that young Buzz no longer wants to right the wrong because he sees the bad that'll come from it. But now, going on Space Ranger spin and... Watching back on the original Toy Story film, or even, you know, I never watched Buzz Lightyear Star Command, the animated show, but that was about 
my understanding is that that was about defeating Zerg. Zerg was the big bad. It was Dr. Claw. It was Darth Vader. It was the bad guy in everything, right? Mm-hmm. You, you kind of wash all of that away by exposing him as being the elder Buzz and killing him. No, I completely agree. I like that they do address the elephant in the room up top and Buzz goes, Dad? That was funny. And they do play off of what your expectation's going to be. That was really clever. I also like that they play on the idea of the old adage of if you have the two wolves, which one do you feed? Because one buzz wants to clear his name. The other one realizes that there was, even though he caused this accident, people had a whole lifetime and people who have grown up, you know, in this, turnip world that they've created on the hostile planet right they they are going to be completely wiped away so i like that there is that struggle but i like it for this film and not necessarily at the expense of everything that we know the way that toy story has led us to believe that buzz and zerg are longtime rivals with like multiple encounters too that's the other thing zerg was made to be the darth vader where this is an ongoing thing, not a one and done. Yes. So that was really the most unfortunate thing for me here. Um, everything else, though, I like how it comes full circle as far as the junior patrol helping Buzz get out of the situation. They've all, I, I don't want to say embraced their strengths, but they've all figured out how to work together. Um, they've taken their training wheels off. They realize that this is the real deal now, that it's not a simulator and they have to get out of this. So everything that we have seen in the film up to this point is brought back around, like Sox's stun dart, um, Ivan, the teleport discs, things that were seemingly insignificant in an otherwise convoluted story all come full circle so that they can eventually complete the mission. And then in the 11th hour, we finally see Buzz when the armadillo is heading back to the planet and it crashes through the atmosphere and the gravitational pull is going to bring it right to the ground. We see Buzz's wings open up and the booster pack fire up, and he saves the day. This is what I was expecting the whole movie. I mean, we did get to see a little bit of the karate chop action at the very beginning. But I was like, you know, they made a toy off of this movie. Where's the rest of it? Well, the thing is, though, those wings and that rocket booster are not built into his suit the way they are in Toy Story. It's a part of his ejector seat. When he ejected... Instead of having a parachute, yeah, that thing that killed Goose in Top Gun, that ej <laughs> the ejector seat, and he hit, he hit the roof. That was a part of the ejector. That was not a part of his uniform. I didn't even catch that. No, but you're absolutely right because, and that was one of the things that I did really like about how they managed to merge toy buzz and this buzz i thought they did such a good job justifying the big clunky uniform or the 
big clunky spacesuit. Um, but I did not even realize that that was part of the ejector. I mean, here's the thing. Like now, I feel differently about it. I don't know. I feel like if he would have had it the whole time, he could have just used it the whole movie. Yeah, you had to put him at a handicap at some point. He had to be behind the eight ball. If he had this the whole time, he would have used it the whole time to just escape peril and travel, and he could have done a lot of this without the Junior Patrol. The fact that you had to introduce it at some point so that he didn't always have it, that made sense. Why they didn't use parts that they found at the mining operation to source this? and make it a part of the flight suit? I don't really understand because, you know, an ejector seat and a parachute, once it's used, it's done. You don't see, like, for what it's worth, when they made Top Gun action figures, they didn't have Maverick in his ejector, you know, ejector seat with a parachute. It just seems odd that you would have made this a part of the toy such an integral part of the toy for a one-time use part. I really like that idea of making it out of found objects. And I feel like that also lends to the whole falling with style aspect. Speaking of which, now it all kind of does a disservice to I Will Go Sailing No More, which is the most powerful scene in Toy Story. It is probably your favorite moment and because there is so much emphasis placed on Buzz flying, yeah, that's not cool. What I do like, though, is that for the end, that last log narration is Toy Buzz's recording. So for as much as they didn't really pass the baton with the rest of it, I like that it is literally ending with where we pick up. Um and it's nice that they're all a team now and that they're going to reboot the Space Ranger program. But, like, there's still no plan to return to Earth. You know, like, Buzz's story was never about being marooned and surviving. And I feel like they're not giving us enough information as to how these people are surviving. Because that's the other thing. We see, like, in Buzz's dorm, the breakfast, lunch, dinner. Where is all that coming from? Certainly not. It's not being harvested from this planet. So are th- is Earth sending stuff? If they were, why not send... Uh, a rescue squad? Yeah, that's where it kind of falls apart again on the final note. All right, let's talk about the cast. Starting with Chris Evans, who plays our, character ti- uh, our, our title character, Buzz Lightyear. Tim Allen, he is not, for those who didn't know, but... I thought Chris Evans gave a great performance here. I like the life he gave to Buzz Lightyear. I like the attitude he gave to Buzz Lightyear. And I felt that as a mainstream character whom the toy was based off of, I think this makes sense for the toy version that we got voiced by Tim Allen. And I thought that Chris Evans did a fantastic job. I completely agree. But who better to nail the portrayal of an action hero than Captain America? For sure. 
no, he was great. And um, you can tell he he really took this seriously. I mean, he he had fun with it, but um, he knew the shoes that he was stepping into. And I think that he absolutely did it a justice while still making it his own, because even for every time they said to infinity and beyond, he never tried to impersonate Tim Allen. He did it the way that this buzz would deliver it. Uzo Aduba plays Alicia Hawthorne, Commander Hawthorne. I liked her. It's a shame that we lost her because I wish that we would have spent more time with her. And it's nothing against Izzy, but this is where I just wish we hadn't done so much with the time travel because I wish we would have seen Hawthorne and Buzz work through this together and it just doesn't make sense that Buzz would have literally wasted her life which is essentially what he did all in the name of giving her a life there's just something here that's that's it's missing and I wish we had more time with her no, it's said, and you just hit right on it. The success of Toy Story is that it's a buddy film. So it would have really been nice to see this story play out with his partner. However, on the opposite side of the coin, I do like how Hawthorne's character anchors this film for as little screen time as she actually has. She is the through line for the whole movie. Yeah. Kiki Palmer plays Izzy. <sighs> you know, I thought Kiki Palmer did a really good job. She's a Toy Story fan. Izzy's fine. I, like, I just wish we had done this with her grandmother. I just, that's the thing, like, I, I, I struggle with this because it's not that I dislike the character. I mean, I think that there's an interesting dynamic that she wants to be a space ranger so bad, and yet she's completely terrified of the idea of being in space. Um, I like the character. Her father, you know, he, he we don't ever see him again. Um, you see him in that one scene, and then it's over. Right. I like Izzy more as a child with her grandmother than I do as an adult. My issue is not with Kiki Palmer's performance. I thought she did a phenomenal job. I love Kiki Palmer. Go see Nope. Um, not with kids. Uh, I feel like we have seen the Izzy character so many times before as the young person written off that's trying to prove themselves and they didn't do enough to develop the character as a as a well-rounded person and she felt like an archetype i think she felt more like a plot point than a character yes perfect got you nailed it better than i could and that's why you work in the industry and i edit the podcast (laughs) uh peter sohn plays socks scene stealer absolute scene stealer best character in the film Yes, and no disrespect to the actor, but I'm really surprised they didn't tap Alan Tudyk for this. Yeah, but this is just fine. Peter Sohn totally nailed it. No, I just, I love Socks. And every scene where 
this is where you get your buddy comedy from is all the scenes with socks because the dialogue is so strong when Buzz and Socks go back and forth. Especially the scene in particular that I'm thinking of is when they were going to decommission Socks and Buzz goes rogue and uh you know there's that exchange after he he shoots down uh the commanders with the dart. Yeah. <laughs> he's like I bought you 5 minutes and you realize that Socks is truly on his side and he's going to back up Buzz no matter what. It's just such a great moment but Anytime there is a back and forth with socks, that those are the most humorous moments for me. Taika Watiti plays Mo. Is Taika Watiti? What else do we need to what say? What else do you need to say? Very good comic relief. And I I love the thing with the pen. That didn't get old. It should have, but it didn't. Dale Souls plays Darby. I love the idea of this elderly convict on the run that should not be trusted as a space ranger, and yet here she is. Great comic relief. I, w- I would like to see more of Sox, and I would like to see more of Darby at this point, I think more than any other characters in this film. I completely agree. Same thing. I thought Darby was going to get old with, this violates my parole, this violates my parole, but even... I think it's Darby's last line uh, when they finally land and the rescue squad shows up and she's like, it's the police. Um, they gave you one last zinger with that. It was great. James Brolin pay, uh, plays Zerg slash Elder Buzz. James Brolin was great. I just wish that perhaps we would not have gone so off the rails with Zerg as Buzz, as much as I liked it, I wish that we hadn't done it just because of what it means for Buzz as a character as we've known him since the 1990s. I agree. Final thoughts on Lightyear. You go first. I'll go first. Here's the thing. Like, despite my gripes with it, I think it's still a good movie. Do I think it's a great movie? No. I think it's a good movie. I think that I like the cast more than I like the plot. I think the plot is convoluted. I think it's overly complicated. I don't think that a kid would have understood what was going on. I think that a kid might have been bored by it. Um... And I think that for all of the reasons that I've mentioned as to what it does for Buzz as the character that we know, what it does for his relationship with Zerg, with Star Command, with the Space Rangers, I think that it just didn't... I I think they, they made a good Buzz Lightyear movie but I don't think that they made a good Buzz Lightyear origin story. I think this is a Buzz Lightyear movie is good, but it can't be the origin story of Buzz Lightyear. I completely agree. This would have been a better sequel after the toy came out than the origin story. Um, But with all that being said, 
I feel like I have been very critical of this film. I still enjoy it, but a lot of that comes from the animation. Because like I said, the things that they did and and the way that they gave space such depth is truly incredible. I mean, when you put this up against Toy Story in 1995, and we all thought that that was groundbreaking, it, it makes Toy Story look like garbage with how beautiful this is and, and how far they've come. The ship designs, um, the way that, you know, I hit on it a little bit before, the way that they were able to take the toy buzz suit and make it a functional astronaut suit, I thought that that was really well done. Um, I think that the humor is all there. I agree with you. The cast is fantastic. And Lord knows, I would rather have this than another Toy Story sequel. Even though upon rewatch, I've come around more and more to Toy Story 4. But with all that being said, I think that we need to take a little break from Toy Story for a while. And if they are going to continue to do more, I'm going to get a lot of crap for this, but here's my pitch. I think they should take like a 10 or 15 year break. And instead of doing sequels or prequels or origin stories, they're toys. T-O-Y. They are child playthings. There could be more Woodies with other children, more Buzzes with other children. Perhaps Buzz is, is a little girl's toy and she wants to be an astronaut in the 90s. Perhaps we could go back to a child that was watching Woody's Roundup that had Woody in the 50s and we could completely recast it with all new voices. Yeah, yeah you're, yeah, you're really new, making a lot of oh, friends yeah. here. All new personalities. And we can just keep resetting the Toy Story world. Hell, flip the genre. Make it a horror. Make Woody possessed by the spirit of his old kid or whatever. Play off the idea of when he torments Sid at the end of Toy Story when he says, so play nice. You're tormented. You're possessed. What are you even talking about right now? What you just described is Chucky. They did it in Child's Play. Th this is how you're. This is how you're gonna fix Toy Story. The possibilities are endless, though. So Pixar, if you're ready to cause more outrage than a girl-on-girl -girl kiss, give me a call. Let's raise hell. Or just stop. Let's just stop. We want to know what you have to say about Lightyear. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week and a contest winner are coming up, but first, I need to take a break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat 
the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money. But she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free. So all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like to start planning your 2023 vacation, it is not too early. Get in touch with me for completely free assistance. Uh, you can DM me through at any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor. And I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work and services. You can do so at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. News this week, unfortunately, the Disney legends continue to fall. Yeah, we're starting this year off on a bummer. I don't think a lot of people know that, though, that Barbara Walters was a Disney legend. She absolutely earned it for everything that she did on ABC. And I mean, just what an incredible life and an incredible legacy. Any woman in journalism owes everything to Barbara Walters. Yeah. And, you know, it's not a surprise because I remember she had been in poor health. They wanted when when 2020, God help us all, came around on New Year's Eve, there was a rumor that they were going to get her to say, I'm Barbara Walters and this is 2020 because that was how she would intro 2020. But she was in such poor health then, and that was, at this point now, three years ago, they couldn't utilize her then. So not a surprise, and if she was in failing health, it's it's all very sad nonetheless. But yeah, she was a legend, and it, we have less of them, right? You There's only one Barbara Walters, right? There's, you know, we talked about you know, what life was like in, in the 90s, and for some of you may think that's a nightmare. But there were a lot of really great people and great things that happened that, unfortunately, you're you're just never going to capture those moments and those people again. And I think she certainly was one of those people. She was, she paved the road, right, for a lot of of women in journalism for everyone. I mean, without her, you know, there's no Diane Sawyer. There's no Oprah. There's no Meredith Vieira there. She paved the way for everyone. And, you know, I think a lot of people forget that because in her later years, she was more associated with the view, but you know, she did have that remarkable quality where she could ask the hard hitting questions to some of the biggest politicians and most polarizing figures but then she could sit there and interview like Britney Spears and Nicki Minaj and the Monica Lewinsky interview. There was nothing like that. Even though we were so young, like I remember that. What about the Michael Jackson? You remember when we yeah. sh- when she sat with Michael Jackson? Yeah. What a big deal that was. But at that, you know, 
all of that being said, she will be missed. All right, let's talk about something that is a lot more fun, though. We have a great, great giveaway um, that we've been talking about for the last week or so. We've been hyping it up on our social media, so if you missed it, too bad. It means you weren't following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. And we have a lot of giveaways coming up this year. And guess what that means? You got to be listening and you got to be following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. We have a great prize pack. We've got some parks exclusive stuff. It was our year end prize pack, right? Goodbye 2022, kickoff 2023. We had some great Parks content. We have a Monoreal Radio t-shirt. We have a straw charm from the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. And we have an outstanding 2023 day planner from the Lost Weekend Co. Lots of demand for this one, especially because this is a great prize pack to kick off your 2023. We had a lot of people enter. We did. This was almost a record breaker, actually, for how many people entered. But... We went into the random number generator. We pulled a winning number. The winning number is in conjunction with Instagram user, dramatic effect, Nikki Lincoln. Nikki Lincoln is the winner of our 2022 slash 2023 prize pack for Monoreal Radio, Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and Lost Weekend Co. So make sure that you get in touch with us with your shipping information. We want to get this out to you right away so that you can utilize this day planner for the entire year. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget, like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Don't forget to follow us on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.